0: The purpose of this podcast is to help you break in and thrive in advertising or public relations or journalism. And we do that by interviewing people who have made it on the other side. Today, you will hear and learn from Olivia Morley. Olivia Morley is a senior agencies reporter at Adweek, focused on media agencies. Today is an exciting episode because we cover different topics. We talk about getting started in journalism and tips for For success in PR, that's public relations from a journalist's perspective. And we mention it all the time in this podcast, but you really should be following Adweek on all platforms, especially Twitter. They might even have a student discount for subscriptions that you can look into. But a pro tip, it's good to find key journalists like Olivia Morley, Jameson Fleming, David Greiner, and Tim Nudd, and follow them on Twitter. But after that, you should turn on post notifications so you won't miss a beat and you will actually enter advertising Twitter, which is a great space to be in. And you can find more tips and resources Olivia specifically recommends for the aspiring journalist, PR pro, and advertiser. And you can find those by heading to our Instagram at Breaking and Entering Pod. All one word at Breaking and Entering Pod. So look at that. You're already a step closer to your break in, and the episode hasn't even started. Now, on with the show. This is the Breaking and Entering Advertising Podcast. And as usual, I'm your accomplice, Gino Schellinger. Kick it, Mikey. All right. Olivia Morley, welcome to the Breaking and Entering Advertising Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. I know we have rescheduled a couple of times, and I really appreciate your time. So. First off, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing really well tonight. Thank you so much for having me. I've actually just returned from a trip to Southern California, and so I've kind of been making my way through the West Coast, and now I'm just barely headed back east and getting back to work.
0: Okay. What did you see? What was your favorite part of your trip?
1: I went with a friend from college to San Clemente Beach, which is the beach that my family used to vacation at when we were younger. And so it was really nice just to get some sun for a few mm-hmm. days. Uh, you by the ocean. It was great.
0: I love that. I, I think there's two people that, two types of vacation people that, that some people that want to go on like hikes and stuff. And some people that want to just sit on the beach. Yeah. I'm in a friend group of people that want to do stuff, but I want to just lay around. I don't know if that's.
1: Yeah. I'm a, I'm a bit of a mix. I'll do a, a mm-hmm. little bit of both, but it's really nice. Cause they have, a good walking trail by the beach and you can kind of spend some time both sitting by the ocean and also getting some exercise so it's really it. really great spot.
0: good balance but yeah. we're here to talk about today about you because olivia you are an ad week reporter agency reporter for the media sector is that correct
1: that's correct yep an agency reporter with a specialty in media agencies
0: got it I w- i was right i got it yeah So I guess we can take this episode in a couple couple different ways, but I think maybe format just high level, like just talking through with you, if we could steer it any way we want, that's the beauty of this is maybe talking about breaking into journalism, maybe the state of media agencies in the world right now. And, and then I would also, for my own sake, as a communications PR professional, I would like to learn about pitching journalists what's best practices, what are, you, what are the do's and don'ts for people that are really interested in public relations? So we can tie it all, I think there's some really good angles here.
1: Happy to, yeah, it's actually perfect because my very first job coming out of college was in PR. And I was working at the time at a mid-sized PR agency just outside of Boston. And all of my clients at that time were marketing technology clients. And at the time, I had never heard of media buying let alone some of the more obscure details surrounding ad tech, like what's the difference between first-party and second-party data. Sure. I actually remember going back to my first day on the job, they handed me a list of my accounts, and I went right into a meeting, and the VP on the account said, Do you know what second-party data is? And I was like, I don't even know what this company is. So I just remember you know, kind of feeling like a deer in the headlights at that time. But it was really fast. It ended up being really fascinating because through that experience, I started reading the trade publications a lot. And I had always known that I wanted to be a journalist, but because I went to college in Boston and because I lived there, there was no real way at the time to work at a publication because most of them were based in New York. And as a young journalist, as a new journalist, I had been an English major. I was—I didn't go to a communication school. I went to Boston mm-hmm. College, which has a great liberal arts program, but no real strong journalism presence. I didn't really know where to start. And so I thought to myself, okay, well, I'll just pick an industry that's sort of tangential to journalism. So okay. I ended up in PR and through happenstance had these MarTech clients and started reading the trades religiously. It just so happened that the news that I found most interesting personally was news about media, marketing, and advertising. And it's a fun it's kinda, niche. It is an, It is a fun niche. And it's also kind of interesting to look back on what was happening at the time that I felt so interested in all of this. It was 2016, and it was at a time when all of this really... <laughs> interesting stuff was going on in the world of branding and marketing. Like, um, for example, the United Airlines you know, crisis where they removed that passenger. I remember a yep. really big one in the brand world. L.L. Yep. L. Bean appearing on the president's Twitter was a new one. And brands just sort of caught in this, like, I guess, a social moment. And that was just so compelling to me. And it was so interesting to understand how publications are sort of like, you know, I guess the conduit through which people can experience both news and advertising and advertising's impact on news and journalism and all of this also in the context of like fake news and mm-hmm. ad tech issues. And so I just think it all culminated in this very interesting after that job, I left and went to Forrester Research, which is a it's like a marketing research firm that also does some consulting and and data work. And I worked at Forrester with a team that wrote research reports for an audience of chief marketing officers. Okay. And so through that, I was actually able to partner very closely with Forrester's global agencies analyst. And we launched the very first media agency wave that Forrester had. up Through that process, I Got very very close to the industry that I currently cover as a journalist, and I loved that role. I still was kind of looking to break into journalism. It wasn't really a great option for me because I didn't want to spend the money to go to grad school, and sometimes that can be upwards of of fifty thousand to a hundred thousand dollars. It's it's very expensive. Is that
0: a normal break-in strategy for journalism to get your master's?
1: Yes. I would say so. I think a lot of people ponder going to J school and there are really only five or 10 really good J schools in the country. And all of them are just so expensive. Are they one year Um, or two year? Usually they're one year programs. I think, I think some of them are like 18 months. I think one of these might be 18 months.
0: I yeah, like I said before, like I'm not really familiar with the journalism break in process. So that's really yeah. interesting. And that even advertising has one year, one to two year programs that you need yep. to, like a lot of creatives need to go to.
1: Right. So it's like you're paying a lot of money to get a degree in this field. And I'm I think J School is amazing and so, so useful. And I, I'll get into that in a minute. But I also think it can be really hard for a lot of people who maybe don't have the money or maybe don't have the connections or maybe can't live in New York or LA or Chicago to get into the industry to be able to do that is very hard of course. and and it you, limits the talent pool. Right. Um
0: and So, so what did you do?
1: Yeah, so yeah, I kind of waited it out. Like I was I had this career in the marketing industry and I was I had actually just started a role at Pegasystems, which is a software company, and I was a chief—I'm sorry—I was a product marketing manager for them, Mm -hmm. uh, managing their community blog, and I loved that job. I was just six months in, and it just so happened that a role opened up at AdWeek, and it was really an interesting process because I mentioned that J school was sort of off the table for me, but then COVID happened and everything went remote, so. I made it a habit to like constantly check like the, the J School applicant pages. Like it's it's super funny. Like if they were tracking my IP address, they'd probably just see like the same thing over and over and over again, like every day <laughs> for years, because I would just have a tab open and like and I was really seriously pondering this decision. Do I or do I not go to J School? When COVID happened, CUNY Newmark, which is a J School based in New York City basically went remote. And during that time I reached out to them and said, can I audit a class with you guys just to see if I'm up to this? And I ended up, this was also happenstance, I ended up selecting the course. It was one of two courses in the business journalism program. So I was I was not a degree earning student. I basically just said, hey, can I just join your class and I'll do all the work. And I had to pay out of pocket, but I wasn't really earning anything, any credits.
0: Wow. Um, they charge yeah. you to audit. It was, it
1: was it was full semester. So I was in that one for full semester and then I loved it. The prof- my professor, who is the director of the business and economics reporting program at CUNY, is Greg David. He and my cohort, the classmates who were in the business journalism program, kind of adopted me as like a de facto student, which was really incredible. Yeah. And I am like incredibly grateful for that. And it was really like Greg's connections that helped me sort of navigate, get the job at Adweek. I Through Greg, I met Minda Smiley, who had actually been in my role before me. And gotcha. she then connected me to Adweek. So all this is to say that like I believe that the journalism industry is really all about connections. And everyone knows that, but I think it's even like, more about connections than I ever even really imagined at the time. I'd applied to so many journalism jobs and like never even got a call back.
0: Right. And
1: having having somebody to help you get your foot in the door is great. Oftentimes that comes in the form of a J school professor.
0: So this is um, interesting. So you, you audited the one class with Greg
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he still helped you out. And he, he took you under his wing and get, made you helped you make those connections get your job so you never ended up taking you know enrolling in the full year program for the i actually
1: was he actually invited me back for the second half of that class so all told i took two semesters of the business program which is that that basically is the entirety of the the business concentration but never any of the other courses and i earned no credit for that i basically just did it to learn
0: you can, you can apply this break in strategy to advertising to their portfolio schools. Perhaps you just
1: pay 100%. for
0: one yep. class yep. or a workshop, uh,
1: a workshop to teach you how to do it, to help you make friends in the industry. It's and then boom. so fascinating. I'm so my competitor at ad age is Kira Wingate. She was in my cohort at Greg's class wow. and we're friends. We're friendly. Like, but it really is such a small industry and it's all about who. You are. I, I, Which I Go yeah, ahead. go ahead. I was gonna say, which I don't think is a good thing. I mean, it was, it was tremendously difficult for me to to do this, and it took so long. I'd want to do this for so long, but because of that, I guess the gatekeeping and the inability to really get on an, an editor's radar, on a publication's radar, is just impossible. Well, well,
0: and, is there just a lack of roles? Like, do people just stay in? Like, just like is. Is there a lack of roles or is it just gatekeep, gatekept?
1: That's a complicated question. I think it's both. And I think that like the amount of roles can really vary by publication and also like the quality of pay can vary by publication. Like, you know, and that's another part of this that makes it so hard to break in because you might spend a hundred thousand dollars on your J school experience to like work for a local paper and make like 40 grand and it's just not it's not sustainable and that's part of why I'm i am even interested in like covering what I do because advertising and digital has impacted the journalism landscape and the news landscape in huge ways everyone everyone knows that but I think one of the most interesting and and sad things that has happened over the years is it's made it Really, really difficult for people to make money in journalism, to create long careers in journalism. We see oftentimes, in my beat at least, we'll see fellow journalists, either at my publication or others, sort of hop ship and go work at agencies, whether it's in PR or creative or something like that. And, And it's common for journalists to leave and do the PR thing. It's just very hard to make a career as a journalist, I think, today.
0: Absolutely, what would you say like looking back at your break in journalism, what advice do you have like for for the for the people that are aspiring to be journalists, like knowing what you know now, if you were to start all this over again, what would you do differently?
1: Well, I thought coming into this, I thought that a journalist had a really specific sort of personality type, and that I would have to become much more confident and much more mature before I would be able to really successfully go after it or pursue what I wanted to. And I think what I've realized through this process and also through being a reporter is that usually if you ask somebody to help you, they will. So I wish maybe I could go back in time and talk to myself five years ago. I would tell myself, pick up the phone and like call people, call people who you want to be your mentor. Like I could have reached out to Greg David years and years ago. And you know, I think for me, because they were remote their the cohort was remote at the time. It made it possible that I could live in Boston and do the course. But like I could have potentially made those connections much earlier and who knows what would have come of that.
0: Absolutely. I think COVID definitely helped spark those spark the, realization that you can make those connections online for me it was like oh we have to get coffee in person yeah before the pandemic so that really that well, that's what made this podcast possible
1: a hundred percent and i was actually so fascinated like when i came in to ad week it wasn't a remote role It said based in new york and i just totally thought that i was going to be filtered out but it wasn't even really a question it was like oh you want to be remote you live in boston sure you can be permanently remote and that was just like incredible to me like i remember when i got my offer to join Adweek, i was just like crying because i was so happy i never really thought i never really thought it would be a possibility i thought maybe one day yeah. <laughs> later in life where i could work for a local paper maybe but it just i had almost given up on like that opportunity not only because of the cost of J school, but also because of like where I lived and I had right. no intention of or, or ability to move to New York.
0: I I want to know real high level. And what, what was the application process like? What do they ask of you? At Adweek? Yeah.
1: Honestly, at Adweek, it was fairly straightforward. If I'm remembering correctly, I had an initial conversation with Jameson Fleming, who's now my editor, who's the hiring manager conversation with hr he's not I mean, going to like can different. right he's not going to can i, I saw that check on his, out twitter. his twitter yeah <laughs> neither am i by the way for anyone who wants to know but yeah i mean honestly it was just kind of like it surprised me and it was just like a typical job application process when you talk to the hr rep mm-hmm. speak to your hiring like samples manager.
0: though i'm assuming
1: that's funny i don't actually remember sharing samples with ad week i pitched stories i sent yeah. i sent jameson three story ideas one of which i later wrote i had simultaneously actually applied and got an offer to join ad age our competitor Ooh. ended up going with ad week although ad age was it was a great process great people
0: yeah
1: great role but that process was a little bit more in depth in that, I think I had an assignment on deadline that I had to write up. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I had ever applied for journalism roles in the past, I think like a year or so ago, maybe a little bit more than that, I had applied for a job at Marking Brew. And yep. I did a, an assignment for them as well. So it's pretty common to have to either do, do like a mock assignment or pitch stories.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Love it. I want to ask you now like what do you write about? Like what's it like working at Adweek?
1: It's incredible. Honestly, I've never been happier in my career just like as a person. It's super fascinating cuz like I I worked in marketing. I liked my job. It was great, but like I would go to sleep every night thinking like, okay, how am I going to like the last thing on my mind every night before I went to sleep was like I wish I was like fulfilling what I feel is like my career goal or like purpose. And it's so nice just like not have that feeling at all anymore. It's almost like I don't even know what to do with my extra time because I'm like, I just like, I love my job. And I do would do the kind of work that I do now for Adweek, like for fun on the side. So it's really been great. The coverage is super interesting. Like I cover media agencies. And like I said, these are the... Entities that are behind like all of the advertising that you ever see or receive on any social channel. Oh yeah. And so like understanding, I guess the money behind those decisions, like what are brands paying these agencies to do? Why do brands choose one over the other? How does the agency's relationship with like ad tech impact issues of of, like transparency and misinformation. It's a very complex ecosystem and it's very intertwined, like I said, with like ad tech and with platforms and things like that. So I find that I learn a lot. I feel it's it's really, really nice to like be able to get on the phone every day with like five people who know more than I do. I just feel like I'm constantly just like learning information and I love that.
0: Amazing. So did you get to pick your vertical or was that kind of like what you applied for?
1: It's what I applied for. And I actually think it's probably one of the reasons why I got this job because like I mentioned, this is why I kind of went through the trouble of like mentioning my time at yeah. Forster Research.
0: Yeah, you you, you had experience with all this.
1: Yeah, yeah. I kind of became like a specialist. And I think that there's this like debate in the field. It's really fascinating. Actually, Brian Morsey, who's like the former editor-in-chief of Digiday, tweeted like several years ago he was talking about like the merits of being a generalist as a journalist versus a specialist. And if I'm remembering correctly, he was saying, you know, it could be worth it today to be a specialist because there are some topics that are kind of complex and being able to come in and hit the ground running with at least a basic understanding of some of these complex industries can really be a leg up. And that's oh, what yeah. happened for me. Like I came into the interview with my editor and Well, I I know these agency execs, like it was three, four years ago, but like, Mm -hmm. I know who they are. I know what the ecosystem looks like. I know what the big trends are. And that was absolutely to my benefit. So it's really fascinating. I mean, it just so happened that the the job that was available was exactly the job that I wanted. So it was great.
0: Everything works out
1: eventually. Yeah, it does.
0: Love that. So what's the state right now? What do we need to know about the media agency landscape?
1: I would say that the thing that I believe characterizes the landscape right now is consolidation and M&A. And so yeah. what we're seeing is a bunch of these holding companies like WPP, Publicis, they're all kind of sprawling, right? They all have so many different agencies that sit under their umbrella. And over so the many. course, so many. And over the course of the last like, I don't know 5 to 10 years. I think that they've been trying to figure out what to do with them. Like it's like do these agencies compete with one another for pitches or does the holding company pitch at the group level meaning that uh, it might come to a brand and say, "Hey, we have five different agencies that could combine to help you meet your goals." Like right. they're now they're not just trying to figure out like how do we wield all of this power and like make it as and simultaneously make it as easy as possible for a client to like, first of all, understand, because it's not super easy for a client to sit down in a pitch and like have a hundred different like names and acronyms thrown their way. But also just to like work with the clients are, are in the process right now of like trimming down the amount of agencies that they work with, because it's really hard to manage. Five, ten, even like Coca-Cola or like some of the big brands, don't quote me on this, but I think i have held like hundreds of agencies in the past. It's yeah. like really, really hard to do. Um, and so it just makes it easier for them when some of these businesses merge or come together or go to market. It, That's it, true. That's true. There it has its issues and it's yeah, still, of course. Yeah, it's also hard when you've got these like legacy holding companies that are trying to become more efficient because they're having to like dismantle an existing system in order to do it.
0: Right. And like, so, Publicis has 80,000 employees, maybe more since 2018 yeah. when I interned there. And they debuted like Publicis One, which yep. was just all they just like categorized all their agencies in four categories and to represent one. And then they had like Marcel come out, which was like, it still is. I'm not sure, I haven't checked on it, but like a, an AI platform or a digital yeah. platform that would like connect everybody. And I know like Havas has these villages that yep. combine different agencies. I know Accenture song just combined all of their, except for Droga five, of course, as you're familiar yep. with, which is really yep. interesting, which kind of <laughs> makes sense. Cause you know, David Droga is, it's his name, but he said okay. he quoted, mm-hmm. you guys quoted him that he would change the name need be, but. It's it. that's definitely a trend and I actually like talking about like that's really interesting to me whether it's effective or not like I'm curious like internally how are like how's it actually going to work like what are the systems in place where you can actually get the combined power of let's say a Leo Burnett and a Starcom Mm -hmm. they're in the same building but but
1: (laughs) yeah that's a real so everything that you just said is like a perfect example of what I'm talking about I think it's it's super interesting. I think that one of the ways that they're trying to do it is through tech. So yeah, all of these big holding companies, like five years ago, started the process of hiring engineers and people with really uh, granular understandings of data to come mm-hmm. in and start building out essentially operating systems and platforms that entire networks can utilize. So, right, right. I'll give one example. So, Omnicom has built Omni, which is its operating system. It's literally a single platform that Mm -hmm. anyone in the Omnicom network can log into and access information about the client, access even like internal information, training materials. It is literally like Mm -hmm. a huge data lake where people, where everyone across the organization can collaborate and work together. And almost yeah. every single holding company has, has some perfect, version of yeah. this. Exactly. Yep.
0: Yeah, it make yeah it 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 makes sense. They just have to figure out how to use it, and that's that. There's higher up people than me that know how to use it better. So
1: right. And but it's also- their job to
0: disseminate that information across the network, so people lower end like me and everybody that's soon breaking into this and that's listening to the podcast needs to learn how to use it and use it. So it's not a barrier. It's actually helping create, generate better insights or helping better media strategy.
1: hundred percent. Yeah. I think that that's a a big thing. I think another big trend in the industry, it's funny that you mentioned this idea of like training and learning how to do it. I've been going through the process of like figuring oh, out. I love this. Yeah. I can go through the process, of like figuring out, um, what's available in terms of like learning opportunities in the industry when I first joined, I I know a lot about this industry, like structurally, but I don't know how to Mm -hmm. like buy media. Like I've never, I've never bought a piece of media. So I went through the process of of figuring out, I'm like, well, i want to learn how to tactically do this. How do I learn? And as it turns out, like there's no easy resource, like at all. I've done a lot of research and it's very hard. It, It struck me that it's kind of something you learn on the job. And so I went through the process of finding all of the entry level programs that are designed for folks who either are straight out of college, maybe they're making a career pivot. They can come into these, usually they're eight week to 24 week programs. You come in and you're essentially like a full-time intern or trainee. Sometimes they're salaried and have full access to benefits. And nice. they teach you. They teach you how to do everything. Um, this is for so entry not, level
0: media buying roles.
1: Yes. Yep. And we're also. I'm also going to expand to some other kinds of agencies. So might also include some information about creative training programs or digital training programs. But right now, focus specifically on media.
0: I love that, and I'm not an expert in that. So where can we find and follow your findings?
1: Yeah. So if you check out agency spy it's a Mm -hmm. blog that covers all of the things the granular things that are going on in the agency world i've started a series of these and so far we have like four or five out and i'm trying to do one every couple weeks so you'll see them in there they're each called the rising marketers guide to and then the program name
0: perfect so i can i want to speak just a little bit about like this type of role for the people that are looking. I, my first internship was a media buying internship for Publis's Health Media. And that program was absolutely fantastic. Can't, can't stress it enough. Lori Mellon was an episode on this podcast a while ago. So if you're interested in learning more about that type of role, I would suggest listening to that. But media, hey, I know, first and foremost, I know media, like, there's some good money in it, especially if you want to go in the health sector. I I want to just get that out there to our people because I think they deserve to know that. I there mean,
1: absolutely is.
0: For yeah. entry level, because some of the, some of these entry level creative roles are like criminal.
1: Yeah, it's really fascinating. I think, I'm just trying to think one of the questions that I ask all the folks who I interview for, for this series is salary. Like, can you share entry level? Yeah. Salary? Yeah. Because that's important. Like salary transparency is important and you need to understand you're gonna learn all this, yeah. what you're gonna end up with. And so I think that Vayner shared theirs with me. And I think it's for the duration of the their three month Vayner media residency program. Okay. It's it's hourly and it's eighteen dollars an hour. And then yeah. at the end of that three month period, you receive a salary. I don't know if I'm allowed to t- to tell you exactly what that salary is, but it is like it is a decent salary for an yeah. entry level person like and you you're can trained in you, a living
0: that's yeah. great that they train you for three months and so you know what you're doing. so definitely more analytical, definitely a little bit more spreadsheet heavy, but it's super interesting when you get past that media strategy and like comms planning strategy is super, super fascinating to me personally, but it does I think that that overall strategy and planning doesn't come till a little bit later, just like any role. I mean, you're gonna have to do like kind of like the machine work in the in the in the beginning, but then you'll get yeah. higher level.
1: Well, it's so true. And once you get to that higher level, I mean I sort of anecdotally mention a friend here. Hopefully she doesn't mind, but I have a friend who worked at a media agency as a planner and buyer and She rose up the ranks before eventually that company eliminated its media buying function, which was very unfortunate because she's just so excellent at what she does. So she became a consultant and I imagine that she makes at least six figures and and she was working in the agency environment for, I believe like two or three years. And she just learned so much in that time period. Like agencies do upcharge, like, the amount that they Mm -hmm. bill the client for your work is not the amount that you receive in your salary. So you you could theoretically go, the client has been paying that amount anyway right, right, to the agency. So if you can do the work, you can do the same caliber and quality of work. It's also potentially worth it to become a consultant after you get to the point where you feel comfortable.
0: Love it. I want to now just quickly tack on to this conversation, best practices, because you get a lot of pitches. And I want to go through, like, high level for now the PR folks that are listening. Yeah. Me included, the one speaking here. Best practices, do's and don'ts for pitching journalists on story ideas. Really high level. I know we can get really granular here. But yeah. maybe, like, let's start off with, like, some bad examples of, <laughs> of how not to do it. Because that's more interesting, okay. I think. I'm
1: happy to. So I'm just trying to this will my save my you t- some. This, it will
0: <laughs> and everybody yeah it's helpful
1: yeah i mean the first one i would say like what not to do don't pitch a single story idea to multiple reporters in the same newsroom at the same time without telling them because what ends up happening is like mass confusion in the newsroom like who's covering some it? Of, exactly and we don't like talk to each other right. all the time right like we're busy we're busy we talk sure. like once a day And sometimes people aren't in meetings or like my weekly meetings or my daily meetings are not with people who've been pitched. So like it would be very easy for two reporters to accidentally cover the same thing. And no one wants that. Like it's a waste of everyone's time. So that's one big no. Another big no for me, something that's happened a couple of times that has upset me is like, don't pitch a competing publication the same angle. I think that PR folks have to do their jobs and and part of that is just like getting as much coverage, as much good coverage as possible. But like when you're down the road with with the source and you've done interviews, you've put a lot into it. Like I've had situations where I'll, I'll go to like one of our competitors pages and like I'll see like word for word, like the interview that I just did. And I know the PR person like had to have been involved in that. And so sometimes it's just kind of like, why? like. Or why didn't you tell me? Why don't you pitch me something different? That's super frustrating. Yeah. And then let's see, what's another one? It's really tough for me when I get sent like quotes, like sometimes I'll ask for like, I'll ask for commentary and I get sent back quotes via email. Like no editor really wants to like use emailed quotes. It's not like we're not allowed to do that, but like, it's always going to be better and stronger reporting if I have a phone conversation with somebody. And so that can be frustrating if a PR person just kind of sends comments without asking if that's something we could even use.
0: Ah, that's good to know. Yeah.
1: And then I'll, I'll leave you with like one more. Yeah, please. I think that, it can be super tough when a PR person will like follow up if their source is not included in the story. I've had some PR folks kind of get mad about that. And I think that Wait, what do you the reality that? is like, if they offer their client commentary and we have a great conversation, but that conversation doesn't make it into the final draft. For uh, publication. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I get it. like, yeah,
1: as a reporter i try and like time these things or like structure these things in a way that i feel will will work out so like i right. don't want to do an interview with anyone who i'm not going to use so i try and and plan for that but like i think what some pr folks don't totally understand or maybe forget in the moment is that like as reporters we sort of put something together and then we deliver it to our editor right. and like what happens after that kind of out of our hands i mean my editor's not gonna like do anything that's gonna like fundamentally change the angle or or anything like that but like if if my editor who has a good eye for these things can see that like we could tell the story with one or two fewer sources then he'll cut the sources hey that's normal yeah that makes sense yeah yeah so i've had some peer people like get mad at me about
0: that like (laughs) that's never that doesn't that doesn't make for a healthy relationship (laughs)
1: It doesn't. It doesn't. It's super tough. And and like I said, I do always try to include people. And sometimes you just can't.
0: Yep, that's very fair. Yeah, amazing. Anything else we want to talk about? I mean, that I thought that was. Sometimes it's easier to learn about what not to do because everything else right kind of falls into place. You gotta take take that. But any other things you want to phrase? I thought that that was great, though. Anything else you want to add to the PR conversation?
1: Just one more thing. I'll tell you what to do. Yes. Um,
0: Please.
1: on the, my very first day on the job, I got a call from a PR person who she just called, called myself and like had a conversation. It wasn't like playing email tag. Sometimes I get people reaching out like, Hey, can we pick a time? Or, Hey, what are you working on? It's just, it's sometimes that's so hard just because I get so many emails.
0: You got a random call.
1: She might've reached out and been like, Hey, can I give you a call or something like that? But it was very, like, quick and felt very natural. And then we just talked on the phone for, like, 10 minutes and built that relationship.
0: And oh, my so, gosh. I got to do that. But, yeah. I mean, like, because, I mean, I don't I don't know if that's the right, like, maybe, like, a quick email. But, like, hey, I would love to just get to know you. Say hello.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'd, like, want to hop on a 10-minute phone call. And, yeah. like, don't go through, like, the trouble of, like, what Zoom time works for you or what, you know. Is like honestly, those are the emails that for me like get lost in the shuffle. Yeah, those suck. Yeah, I just want to like have a quick conversation. And because of that, like I got to know her right away. The power of like a phone call or even like texting, like the best PR people, I like text and I'm friendly. And forming that relationship, just like taking away all the corporate BS and just like having a real relationship with. Wow the journalist is, is really, really helpful. At least for me. Everyone's different, but at least for me.
0: Hey, it, it, that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I gotta start doing that.
1: Well, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. This has been really great.
0: Oh, Olivia, usually I have to say goodbye first, but y- you <laughs> are great. I mean, if there's anything else that you want, any other advice that you, you might have wrote down, I'm sure you're prepared. You could say that now, but I, I do have one other question. Oh, of course. Yeah. How can people reach out to you or learn more about you, read your stories? What's the best way to, to contact you or get to know you better?
1: Yeah. I mean, the best way, honestly, is probably just to text me. And I, I hesitate a little to give my phone number. No, but don't give your phone if, number out. No, to... I kind of, I kind of want to, because it's better than giving my email out because I just can't respond to emails, to all the emails. So if you want to like shoot me a text, I'm at 801-889-5465. But please wow. only text me if like, you know, it's relevant. And, and yeah. Like, if if
0: maybe if you want to like get to break into journalism or yeah. learn about how to, whatever we talked about in this episode, don't be, you know, spam. Yeah. I don't know.
1: And, and like Twitter, I'm on Twitter. If you want to follow me on Twitter, DM me there. And also on LinkedIn, I try to like, I usually accept every LinkedIn connection and try to respond to
0: messages there as well. So you wow. can find me. You're the first guest to give out phone number. So that's awesome. We don't get millions of listeners. So it shouldn't be a big deal.
1: Super funny. Fun anecdote there. I used to work for Samsung and for Samsung's content agency. And I once put my phone number in a video that landed on Samsung's YouTube. And I was getting, I probably got like a thousand calls. Oh, after yeah. That. This won't happen. So,
0: that that yeah, won't happen. Yet. I'm used to it. <laughs> Cool, cool. Well, you've been really helpful. I really appreciate you coming in.
1: Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been great.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this entire episode of the Breaking and Entering Advertising Podcast. If you like what you heard, it would mean a lot to us and help us grow and get better guests, better break-ins if you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us five stars and a small review if you have the time. Be sure to connect with our guests if you like what they said by going to our Instagram at Breaking and Entering Pod. That's all one word Breaking and Entering Pod on Instagram. We have links to their portfolios and their LinkedIn. And they want to connect, so do that. And thank yous. Thank you to Mikey Malarkey, our audio engineer, and Wu Chun Zhang, our creative director. Can't do it without you two and a team from the University of Illinois. It's a student team from the agency called AdBuzz, their PR agency. And it's been a pleasure working with them. Thank you all so much. And we will see you next week with another amazing guest.